Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Amos, the second chapter. But there were many that were not here for our introductory lesson, and so I want to bring you up to date on some of it. We talked about Amos and his calling, his country, his courage, and although he uh, was a native of Judah, he went up to Bethel, the center of Israel's idolatry. We find that over in the book, and we gave you the scripture references for for that last in our last lesson. And before we take up with the second chapter, I just want to remind some that his calling by his natural work was from a herdman and a gather of sycamore fruit. And the herdman was, of course, among the herdmen of Tekoa. We spoke of that in chapter 1, verse 1. And the gather of the sycamore fruit was one that uh, cultivated the wild fig. It's really what it is. And it had to be punctured before it would ripen. So there was a lot more to it than just going out and gathering the fruit. You had to cultivate the fruit in order for you to have any fruit that would be ripe. And they did that by puncturing the wild figs, each and every one of them. And so there's a lot of things that we need to study about him. God called him while he was in his employment. We said in our last lesson that God calls men that are busy. He doesn't call lazy people. He calls people that are busy and that will work. If you work in your natural profession and occupation, you'll most likely, when you're called of the Lord, to be a workman in his vineyard. And uh, that's the way he called Moses. Remember, Moses was at the backside of the desert and uh, doing the work that he was called to do, herding the sheep and taking care of the cattle. And Gideon was threshing the wheat. And we know David was, uh, of course, the shepherd boy, and he was about his work when God called him out of the sheepfold. John the Baptist was, of course, called from the desert place. Peter was on the fishing boat. Paul was going about, even though he was doing the wrong thing, he was persecuting Christians and very zealous in his work that he was doing against God. And when the Lord revealed to him he's going the wrong way, well, he decided it would be better to follow the Lord and be just as uh, enthusiastic and dedicated to God's work as he was to uh, the devil's work before. And then, of course, Amos was called, and we said that he's called out of his employment to be uh, a prophet. And then we find that uh, he uh, answered that call, and he was willing to follow that calling, and that he would become a servant of God and do his work in a natural way. He didn't try to be someone other than Amos, the herdman, and gather of sycamore fruit. We might say that to a lot of people he would be a backwoodsman. And he would preach God's word uh, regardless of its welcome or response and be faithful to it. And he must bring the message of God home to his hearers, which he did. And if you notice chapter 1, verse 1, it says the words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa. So he speaks the words of God. And when you get to chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you. And we'll get into the messages of Amos in chapters 3 through 6. But we studied the first chapter. And in studying the first chapter, in uh, his message against these heathen nations, and then finally against Judah and Israel, and I don't know how many of you were present. I don't remember in our first lesson. But I want to point out some verses, and I want you to look at them with me. And for those that were not here, you will get in on them. And for those that were here, you will already know the verses that we have in mind. So verse 3, verse 6 of the first chapter. Let's notice verse 3. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. We said also in verse 6. 
For thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. You find that in verse 9, and verse 11, and verse 13, and then in chapter 2, verse 1, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four, and then verse 4 of chapter 2, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. We'll talk about that punishment in a little bit. And then in verse 6, <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And then he states what that punishment will be. So this forms an outline, and we have titled them, Eight Vessels of Wrath, or uh, the wrath of God that would be poured out upon these eight different nations because of their transgressions. And for that statement, for three transgressions and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. We have to understand what the meaning of that statement is. It doesn't mean for three and then four more transgressions, but it means for three and then the fourth is the final one. It means that the fourth transgression, that they had tipped the scale too far, and we use the term, that's just one, you've gone too far, or that's one too many. And God says, for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. So he's really speaking of the fourth that tipped the scales of balance to where there's judgment that would be determined upon these nations. You know, it's sad that God's people have to go so far because the first time, the first transgression, God rebuked them. And the second, He warned them. And the third time, He threatened them. And the fourth time, the rod of judgment falls upon them. And God usually rebukes and warns. And then He even has to threaten before finally He says, that's gone too far, the fourth transgression. And that would be too far. You've already studied the first chapter and how that for Syria, for their cruelty. Notice in verse 3. Now, by the way, if you have those that I gave you, number them. Put number 1 by verse 3. Number 2 by verse 6. Number 3 by verse 9. Number 4 by verse 10. I mean 11, I beg your pardon. And number 5 by verse uh, 13. And then get into the second chapter and put uh, 6 by number 1 of the second chapter by the first verse. 7. By, chapter, by verse 4 and 8 by verse 6 because he comes down to Judah in verse 4 and Israel in verse 6. Now this forms an outline of these vessels of wrath, we'll call them. And for the first one that we find in verse 3, notice this. Thus saith the Lord, we'll rehearse these as briefly as we can because we got down to chapter 2, verse 1, but we'll rehearse these that we found in the first chapter for the benefit of those who didn't get in on the lesson. So in uh, 1 verse 3, it says, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Now look, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron, for their cruelty in warfare, run threshing instruments of iron over the people. I mean, you talk about cruel warfare. We not only know it in our day, but we've known it in days gone by, and Israel knew it in days gone by. Drop down, and, and he tells what he will do in, in bringing judgment upon Damascus, which was the capital of Assyria. You notice in the last part of verse 5, it says, And the people of Syria shall go into captivity. But now, verse 6 says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Now look, because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. What did they do? They were in slave traffic. They carried away the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. And he tells what he will do there. Now, verse 9, he says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyrus and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they de delivered up the whole captivity to Edom 
and remembered not the brotherly covenant. They were not faithful to their brotherly covenant. Delivered up their brothers. And we pointed out in our last lesson how that the brotherly covenant should have been that they were would stick by one another and stay by one another. And when we apply it to ourselves today, we have a, a local church that has a brotherly covenant. We have the Christian covenant. That we're all that uh, of, that reaches out beyond the local church to all uh, of God's children everywhere. When you see a Christian anywhere, we ought to treat him like a brother and love him like a brother. And uh, so they were not faithful to their brotherly covenant. And then you come on down to verse eleven. It says, "Thus saith the Lord: For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away the punishment." Thereof, because he did pursue his brother with a sword and did cast off all pity. He had no mercy. So when you're talking about Edom, her hatred for Israel, and Edom was condemned. And then we come down to verse 13. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have ripped up the women with child of Gilead that they might enlarge their border. And he tells what judgment he will bring upon them. And we've already talked about the judgment on each of these in our last lesson. And notice Ammon that we're talking about. Unjustified cruelty that they had. You know, we think that we've seen a lot of cruelty in our day. But look at the cruelty that was that people uh, had to undergo in the, old, in the days of, of before Christ. In the days of the prophets. And you know, all of these lessons... From each of these nations. These were heathen nations round about. All of these lessons from these nations should teach us to be the very opposite of what they were as Christians. As human beings that, that should consider all of mankind. The first one was cruelty and warfare. The next one was slave traffic. The other one was delivering up brothers. And then for Edom, her hatred of Israel. And for Ammon, her unjustified cruelty. And that brings us down to our present lesson in chapter 2. I just thought I would bring those out because in chapter 2, verse 1, you have the sixth one of these transgressions. And in verse 4, you have seven. And in verse uh, 6, you have the eighth one. So they form a natural outline. And they're very interesting to study. <clears throat> but we'll get to, to these now in the second chapter and try to deal with the, these. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, and this is where we should presently take up our message. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because, they, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. But I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palaces of Keroth, and Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting, and with the sound of the trumpet. And I will cut off a judge from the midst thereof, and I will slay all the princes thereof with, with him, saith the Lord." Judgment because of what? Because, he says, he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. It's over vengeance on a king's carcass that God says he's going to bring judgment upon Moab. If you'll notice in verse 13 of the first chapter, Ammon, that's the Ammonites. See the verse 13. And here, chapter 2, verse 1, the Moabites. The Ammonites and the Moabites. Does that ring a bell? That's familiar, isn't it? Because they were both. The nations were descendants of Lot in an illicit relationship with his two daughters after he was delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah. And we find that they were not to enter into the congregation of the Lord until the tenth generation. You can study the Old Testament and find out the curse upon the Moabites and the Ammonites. And yet, we find that there was one that entered in. You know who it was? Ruth the Moabitess. And remember, she found grace in the sight of, 
in the eyes of Boaz because Boaz is symbolical of Christ. And she was delivered from the curse of the law and set free and privileged to even be joined to Boaz in marriage later. A lot of things transpired. So that you and I, here's the spiritual lesson for that. We were like the Moabites under the curse of the law. And yet we were delivered from that curse by Jesus. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Galatians 3 verse 13. And then the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh... God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, that means a sacrifice for sin, condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So Christ has uh, done for us what the law could not do. Boaz did for Ruth the Moabite is what the law could not do. He had to set her free, and he had to join her to himself in marriage, and therefore deliver her from that curse and that... uh, Uh, which he was under. Christ has joined us to himself so that we are delivered from the curse of the law. And so there's a whole study of that in in the book of uh, Ruth, but we won't have time to go into it. I just wanted to point out that in verse 13 of the first chapter, look at your Bible now, and verse 1 of the second chapter here of Amos, that we have the Ammonites and the Moabites, and they descended from Lot. And you go back and read the story. How that they made him drunk and they slept with him and they each conceived and, and brought forth these two uh, sons, the Ammonites and the Moabites descended from that relationship. So, after God here, through Amos, chapter 2, verse 1, and down through verse 3, after God, through Amos, denounces these eight heathen nations round about Judah and Israel. Then he comes and he turns to Judah. And look at verse 4. And this is very interesting. And then verse 6, he turns to Israel. This is very important that you get this connection. Now, what does he say in verse 4? Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Let's stop before we continue. Read. Stop just a moment. Can you imagine Judah and Israel hearing Amos the prophet denounce these heathen nations for all their cruelty and for all their uh, different things that he's pointed out, can you imagine how they sit back smugly and say, well, you know, these heathen nations have it coming. These wicked heathen have it coming. Then what does he do? He turns to God's own people, doesn't he? And he says, for three transgressions of Judah, look at this, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Now look, Theirs was for religious apostasy. They had turned away from God who who they knew. It says, look, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept His commandments and their lies caused them to err after the which their fathers walked. That's what was against them. They knew better. They had God's law, God's word, and they had despised the law of the Lord and they had not kept His commandments and they would not walk after His way after which their fathers have walked. Isn't it an amazing thing how that people walk like their parents, live like their parents? Many of you have seen these commercials on television. One that impressed me is this uh, little boy, his dad is sitting by a tree, I believe. I, I may have it right. And I think he's smoking a cigarette. And his little boy comes up and sits down beside him and he mimics like he's doing the same thing. Imitates what dad's doing, sitting there smoking a cigarette. Well... If you want to smoke, that's your business. But on the other hand, whatever 
if he if his dad did worse worse things, he would imitate that too. So fathers, be careful how we set an example before our children. Fathers and mothers the same way. And children learn to do a lot that their parents do. Now we know there's some rebellious and they do a lot of things that we've never done. And we have to correct them in that way too. But uh, here, notice that they will they walked after the ways of their fathers, after the which their fathers walked. And he said, But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. They would have to suffer for it. Now I want you to notice... Uh, Verse 6. Now, this is the eighth one. We had six heathen nations down to chapter 2, verse 1, if you marked them. And then we had in verse 4, chapter 2, we had Judah. And now in verse 6, we have Israel. Look at this. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And it begins to list a whole lot of things that Israel did. Notice, it says, Because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. They sold the righteous for silver. They would take bribes of silver and do injustice to the righteous. Wouldn't give them a righteous hearing. Their judgment against them. And the poor for a pair of shoes. They would take away even the most necessary things from the poor. That pan after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor. Look how they treated the poor. And turn aside the way... Uh, of the meek. The meek was not even considered. If a person was trying to do what's right and meek and lowly in his actions and attitude, they'd take advantage of that. By the way, meekness is not weakness. Though. Meekness is strength. It's power kept under control. Remember, Moses was spoken of as meek, a meek man upon the earth. But what about Moses? He could take the rod that God gave him, couldn't he? And he could smite the... the Egyptians with all manner of plagues and judgment, but he was a meek man. And Jesus himself said, Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. We quoted this morning, I believe, a verse of Scripture in Isaiah 42, where it says, He shall not lift up his voice nor cry, lift up his voice in the streets. Let me turn to Isaiah 42 and get this for you. Notice what it says about Jesus. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I will put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Now look in verse 2. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. He was not out for trying to to, uh, show a great sense of ego and popularity and be somebody. It says, a bruised reed shall he not break. Can you imagine of all the reeds, when you talk about a reed, you're talking about just a stalk. There were uh, multiplied hundreds and hundreds of them on the Riverbanks, but a bruised reed will he not break. There was hope for even the, the least of all we should be concerned about. Why not just pass it by and get one that's not broken? Jesus doesn't do that. You and I are like broken reeds, or bruised reeds. But he's not going to break. He's going to do something for it. And it says, And the smoking flax shall he not quench. The dimly burning, barely smoking. He can fan it into a blaze in a, in a fire and make it something that it's not. Not just going to put it out throw water on it. But if there's a little life in you kindled by himself, he's certainly going to see that it continues to burn. And a little fire that continues to burn. That's the merciful Jesus. That's the Jesus of the New Testament. That's God's servant. And there you find a description of God's servant. Isn't it an amazing thing today that you find those that would call themselves servants of God that lift up their voice and cry and could care less for the broken, the bruised reed and the smoking flax. But we have that in the world today. If you and I are going to be a servant like Jesus was, we're going to have to stoop down to the meek and lowly and do the things that God would have us to do. We're going to have to be concerned about every soul and everyone that comes within the, the realm of our uh, 
of ministry. Remember what God, the Lord said to Paul? He told him when there was a lot of uh, persecution against him in the book of Acts, he says, Paul, he says, don't be discouraged. Don't worry about it. He says, you stick with it. And I'm just paraphrasing the thought. He says, for I have, this is the scripture, for I have much people in this city. In another place, he's told Paul, in the shipwreck, stormy sea, he says, God has given you all them that, all those that sail with you. He says, there's not a one of them will be lost. You know, the Lord may have given you all those that sail with you or that come in, in the realm of your protection and your ministry. So, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. But let's get back to the book of Amos now and see what happened to Israel. In chapter 2, verse 6, again, let's read it again. It says, For thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of shoes, that pan after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor, and turn aside the way of the meek, and a man and his father... Now look, it's a debauchery and the, the uh, sensual and the sexual terrible sins of Israel. And a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. God's holy name says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. God's word says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 8, And they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar. And drink, they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Those that were fined for whatever crime they had committed. Maybe they were righteous and not receiving a just trial and they had to pay their fine. Well, the judges could take the money and buy wine. They drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. And then he goes on to tell what he did for them, beginning with verse 9. He says, Yet I destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of cedars, the stately cedars of Lebanon. And he was strong as oaks, as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. The Amorite that was an enemy of God's people. He said, God's reminding them of how terrible their sin was in the way that they had walked against his word and had disregarded his law. Both Judah and Israel. We address Judah in verse 4 and Israel in verse 6. And Judah, it says in verse 4, they despised the law of the Lord and not kept His commandments. And it names the sins of Israel. We started in verse 6 on down. And he says in verse 9, Yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. God is able to take care of our enemies, isn't He? And I brought you up from the land of Egypt. He reminds them of their deliverance. I brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite, the land of these enemies that God had destroyed before thee. I want you to look at verse 11. And I raised up of your sons for prophets and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord? Haven't you, have not I done this for you? You know, sometimes God's children need to be reminded of what the Lord has done for them. We need to be reminded. I wonder if we're reminded day by day what the Lord has done for us. God doesn't turn around and say, look what I've done for you. But we have it in His Word what He's done for us. First of all, God sent His only begotten Son that we could be saved. We preached this morning, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God gave His only begotten Son. The child was born, baby Jesus. And we preached on the infinite Christ this morning. But think of uh, of what God has done for us. And yet His Word tells us of what He's done. 
But here he's reminding Israel of what he had done for them. And in doing so, when he reminds them that he raised up prophets and Nazarites, look at what he says about this in verse 12. But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. Remember, the Nazarites were dedicated to God and they were to not drink them. The wine or strong drink. They were dedicated as separated to God. Some were Nazarites from birth. Remember Samuel? That Hannah said that he, she would return this baby boy, Samuel, asked of God in answer to her prayer, meaning of his name, to him all the days of his life. And he would be dedicated. He would be a, a lifetime Nazarite. There were certain Nazarites that were to serve for so many years. But we won't go into all that vows of the Nazarites because there are various stages and degrees of it. But here, what did he say? He says, I gave you young men for Nazarites. <clears throat> and he says, is it not even thus? Verse 11, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord, it's thus. But, verse 12, but you gave the Nazarites wine to drink. You didn't let them keep their vows. You tried to encourage them not to even keep their vows. I wonder what would be the equivalent of that today. Let's try to make it in a in a practical sense of the church today. Suppose you have a young man that surrenders to preach. Or a young man that, well, first of all, here, a young man that says, God, I want you to take my life and I want to live for it. That's a Nazarite. Or dedication to God, we'll call it that. Before we get to the preaching aspect of it. And someone discourage him and not encourage him to continue to, with that dedication and that conviction that he has to live for God. That's what they were doing to these Nazarites. Then look, and commanded the prophet, saying, Prophesy not. You have a young man that's called a priest. Let's put that in the context of the local church today. And you say, Well, now, you know, you're going to face this if you have to, if you preach. Now, you shouldn't do that. You can make a lot of money if you go out here and you'll stick with the business I've got you uh, set up in or someone else has for you and discourage him from his calling. And and then even the ones that go ahead and say they're going to preach, and you say, well, preacher, I don't, I don't believe what you're saying. And despise, you know, Paul told Timothy, he says, no, let, let no man despise thy youth. And he told Titus that, two young preachers, didn't he? So if there's anything that we ought to do, beloved, if you have a young man that is convicted of, and convinced that God has called him to preach, we ought to give him all the encouragement in the world. That we can get, and in the in the work that they're called to do, because there'll be enough discouragement. He doesn't have to get that from you. That's going to come naturally. But he does need all the encouragement he can get. So what did they say? Look at this verse again. He says, "But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink, and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not." They didn't even want to hear them. And even when they came to preach, they didn't want to hear. Them. And then he says in verse thirteen. Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. A cart that was loaded down. He says, I'm pressed under you. You become a great pressure and a burden to me. Therefore, the flight shall uh, perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his force, neither shall the mighty deliver himself. God says, regardless of all this, it's not going to be good for you. And he says in verse 15, neither shall he that standeth that he... Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow. And he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself. You can have uh, all the things going for you that you think might be good for your uh, prosperity and your uh, defense and your warfare. And if God doesn't bless it. Over in the book of Ecclesiastes, the Bible says that I beheld under the sun. Now listen carefully. That the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, but time and chance happeneth to them all. You get that? 
The race is not necessarily to the swift. You say, well, well, I can run like one of these athletes in the Olympics. But it says the race is not to the swift. You may break a leg along the way. Nor the battle to the strong. You may think you're strong, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the battle. But it says, but time and chance happeneth to them all. That's in the Ecclesiastes. So, when we look at this, what is God saying? And much the same thing here to them through Amos. Verse 15, Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow, and he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself. Can't run fast enough to get out of the way. Can't deliver himself. Neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself. He's gone beyond the, the footman, hasn't he? Now he's talking about the cavalry, the horseman, the one that can really get out of the way. Remember, God warned them to not go down to Egypt for help. And those that stay on horses... Trust and cherish. Look in Isaiah chapter 32, maybe. 31, verse 1. Isaiah 31, verse 1. The Lord says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. Egypt is a type and picture of the world. And stay on horses, and trust in chariots, because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. See? That's Isaiah 31, verse 1. So now let's notice the last part of Amos chapter 2. Amos chapter 2 and verse 15, the last part of the verse. Neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself. And he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. He that what? Is courageous among the mighty. He won't be so full of courage then when God uh, brings judgment against Israel. And he said he would bring in chapter 2 here against Judah and Israel. For what they had done. Shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. And we'll stop there for the moment. But let me just say this in closing. That we need as Judah and Israel to realize our transgressions as they did. And we have plenty of them to repent of. And you know God called them to repentance. And we find that the latter part of this book of Amos. God speaks of their future. And their blessings of restoration. So we're... We have to progress till we get to that point. But we see how we get there. First of all, they had to be put up on the same level of God's impending judgment and the necessity of judgment as were all these heathen nations round about. Now, Peter, let me just give you this in, in closing. Peter puts it in the reverse. And he says, if judgment begin first at the house of God, then where the ungodly and sinners, will, where will they appear? But Amos starts with the ungodly and the sinner, the heathen, and then he comes to God's house, Judah and Israel. So he approaches it differently than Peter does in the New Testament. But regardless of that, may the Lord help us to be repentant, humble people that want to serve God and live for God and not discourage any soul that wants to dedicate himself to God as the Nazarites did. Not to discourage any soul, certainly, that is called to preach. They said to their prophets, prophesy not. They didn't want to hear what God said. Judah had turned away from the law of God and transgressed His laws. Israel had gone in the opposite direction, persecuting the poor and being unjust in all their dealings. God's Word gives us enough information as to how we should live our Christian life. And we need to seek to follow His Word in order to do it. We thank you for your patience and your kind attention. We'll pick up with the third chapter, and we'll get into hear this word, the third chapter, hear this word, the fourth chapter, hear this word, the fifth chapter, and it covers five and six.